The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. You know, last time I was here, something struck me as curious. Maybe it's all in storage. Maybe his heirs sold it. Anyway, why are you so suspicious? I don't know. Something's just not right. What do you mean, something's just not right? I have a feeling. There's that feeling thing again. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, August 5th, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. And welcome to the show today where our theme is Just Not Right and how the right wing is the left's best friend. And that's basically the theme of the show today. We're going to be dealing with what hidden agenda? Conservatives, what they say versus what they do. And of course, no agenda. Conservatives, what they don't do. And then at the end of the show, we're going to explain why we start this show every week with the phrase, not right wing, just right. And we want to start with trying to create that distinction right off the bat. Good morning, Robert. How are you? Hey, Bob. Great. You know, I was looking for at some of these articles recently. Last week we did the census. Seemed to have exposed some open sores in the conservative ideology department. The, the amount of articles on this, and don't worry folks, we're not going to talk about the census today. But Harper's census, push months in the making, writes Michael Valpe in the, in the Globe and Mail, July 26. And he quotes University of Calgary economist Frank, Frank Atkins, who says that Mr. Harper, in terms of what he tried to do with the census, you know, making the long form um, voluntary, acted from a, quote, deep philosophical conviction, a libertarian view of the mandatory long form census as a big brother manifestation of the intrusive state. Now, I have to tell you, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, because within about 10 or 15 minutes, we will prove to you beyond any doubt that Harper is not a libertarian nor is he pro-freedom. You'll hear it from his own words, out of his own mouth. Another person here. Census plan continues to dog Harper, Michael Dentant in the Free Press, July 30th, who writes that the most puerile argument that the Conservatives used of all was that the government was killing the long-form census as a nod to this government's libertarian sensibilities. It's all about rugged individual we're expect, or, or sorry, rugged individualism, he writes, we're expected to believe. Stephen Harper is such a fine and principled libertarian. He presides over a government that spent in the 2009-10 fiscal year $237.8 billion, up from $207.9 billion the, the year before. And of course, he quotes a whole bunch of other stats that just keep going up. And then he says, the ultimate, the ultimate insult that I just can't, I start seeing red when I see this, Ayn Rand, move over. <laughs> wow. Now, for the record, ladies and gentlemen, Ayn Rand was neither a conservative nor a libertarian, and she wrote extensively against both. Come on, people, give your heads a shake. Do you ever read her, or do you just talk about her? <laughs> you know, I just can't believe it. Uh, you know, it, it's, and she used to accuse each of those groups as being worse than the left, because they had no way to, way to oppose them, you know? So I have to tell you, 
in a way, today's show is a little difficult for me personally because it certainly affects what I do for a great part of my personal and political life, and particularly with respect to Freedom Party, which is, you know, a lot of people know I've been involved with for the past 25, 30 years or so. So in any attempt I might make to appear objective about today's subject, I can't really find fault if anybody, you know, would suggest that my topic is a little self-serving today. <laughs> it kind of is, coincidentally, because it happens to be true. But I hope at the same time that our listeners will certainly draw their own conclusions as objectively as possible about some of the arguments they're going to hear today. So let's be blunt. Today we're going to be taking direct aim at the right wing and at the two political parties and movements most associated with that term right wing. And that means conservatives and libertarians. Now, our show begins weekly with, uh, you know, we start off with that disclaimer um, that the opinions you are about to hear on this show, on, you know, might not express those of the people on the broadcast frequency. Well, we start every show with our own disclaimer as well, and we always say, not right wing, just right. Now, I've already covered all the left and right spectrum on at least three previous broadcasts of the show, and you can get those shows at our website, as always, which is uh, www.justrightmedia.org. And, of course, the phone number to call if you want to join in the conversation is 519-661-3600. Now, in both and all those shows, I basically concluded that uh, both conservatives and libertarians actually sit on the left, contrary to popular perception. Now, i got to tell you, I've been in both camps throughout my political career as a supportive lobbyist for a handful of conservative causes and even as a candidate for the Libertarian Party of Canada back in the late 1970s. I've made all the classic mistakes, Robert. <laughs> Done them all. Me too, Bob. And, you know, I've sat on the same boardroom table with Mike Harris at least twice and Preston Manning at least two or three times, both of who, who never really did figure out who I was. I, I was always a guy saying very little, believe it or not, but taking notes. And I noticed Preston Manning was sitting right beside him once at a boardroom meeting, once gave me this strange look, somehow pleading for someone to explain to him who I was. <laughs> you know, is he a reporter? Who is this guy, you know? But just to make it clear to our listeners, I have experienced both conservatism and libertarianism from the so-called inside, and in both theory and practice. And of course, that's what you compare if you want to see the ultimate test of principle or whatever a party says it's about. And that makes most of what I expect will be said today all the more difficult. After all, if you're a regular listener, you might have noticed that many of the guests who've appeared on this show might properly be identified as right-wing, Perhaps the most famous being Ann Coulter, who appeared on an exclusive Canadian radio interview right here on March 11th. Some would be libertarian, like Prince of Pot Mark Emery, who appeared on the show just before his extradition in May. In Mark's case, libertarian means anarchy. But what does it mean when it's applied to Stephen Harper? That doesn't make any sense, you know? So we'll be hearing from each of them later, including Stephen Harper and Mark Emery and Ann Coulter, in respect to their very differing political allegiances and why they chose them. Yet while here, we here on Just Right have in no way, you know, support the fundamental ideologies of either differing right-winger, we have supported their right to speak, and to some extent, their cause or their objective, to the extent that we believe that their cause is right. Now, Mark Emery may be wrong about his belief in anarchy and even about promoting pot, but his political cause is just and it is right. Ann Coulter may be kind of a wacko zealot on evolution, creationism, and Christianity, but her criticisms of the left, her support of free speech, and her advocacy of values is just. 
these are things that we might share, right, Robert? Well, it's an ad hoc um, approach yes. we're taking to the people. And I can guarantee you that Mark Emery and Ann Coulter would never get along with each other. That would be a debate I'd love to see. The fur would fly. Oh, boy, would it. <laughs> so I would hazard a guess that many of our listeners, even, who find themselves sharing our viewpoints on several issues might call themselves conservative or libertarian. I'm running into it all the time. They even call me that once in a while. And I don't always ob object because it's not always the proper occasion to, to object to a label when, in the broadest sense, maybe you're dealing with their understanding of something. You know what I mean? I do. Um, but some people call them both conservative, call themselves both conservative uh, libertarian slash, which is a tag that the official opposition is trying to put on Harper over the census debate. But those who, uh, who identified as freedom types, I guess, and, and freedom is the entire context of our argument today. Bear that in mind. Everything we're judging is according to the standard of individual freedom, and freedom being that the proper objective of a government. If you don't believe that, then nothing else really matters. But such people often refer to themselves as classic or liberal, small-c conservative, anarcho-capitalist, libertarian, objectivist, and you'll even get further divisions within each group like uh, fiscal conservatives and social conservatives. And even within the objectivist movement, you find a division. You know, there's, it gets silly. I don't even want to go there. All of this generally leaves the casual observer entirely befuddled and confused because it's all the same difference to him. What does he know? And... To such a person, the only thing all these groups seem to share in common is an enemy. <laughs> and that's the supposed left-wing, meaning those evil liberals and new Democrats and communists. And as a result of that perception, I can't tell you how many times over the course of my entire political career, such as it is, <laughs> I've been asked some variant of, you know, so why don't you get together with the conservatives or, you know, more ludicrously, get together with the libertarians and work together so you can fight a common enemy. Ever heard that before, Robert? Often, often. <laughs> It's in that moment that I invariably, you know, invariably realize that the questioner hasn't got a clue. Really, he wouldn't be asking that question about me, about freedom or its necessity, which I'll deal with later, about Freedom Party, about the party he recommends I work with. That's what they know the least of. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because people always think that these parties that they're supporting represent something that they do not. And then they're always surprised when they find out they don't. And so, you know, if you're going to ask a question like that, wouldn't it make more, just as much sense to ask, uh, why don't the Liberals and NDP get together to fight a common enemy, you know? They might, and that's, that was just asked recently, and I knew it was a silly question, <laughs> yeah. and it would not go anywhere. If a common enemy is all that any political debate boils down to, then from my perspective, the question to ask is, why don't the Conservatives, Liberals, NDP, and Libertarians all get together to fight their common enemy? Freedom Party. Freedom, yeah. <laughs> you know, small as it is, it's the world's first true party of individual freedom. And I didn't realize that until very recently. Uh, I didn't think we were alone on the stage in that regard. I thought maybe some of these parties were thinking a little bit like us. But over time, I find that's totally not true. Because from where I sit, you know, that's the reality of the situation in the country. But before I demonstrate this, let me make one thing clear. The mean things Robert and I might say about the right wing today are not a reflection upon any individuals who might find themselves within that right wing. Because I know there are many, many, you know, what I call them, true searchers for freedom out there. We were there ourselves. We were Bob. there ourselves. People who might actually have some of the answers we need in governance, who find themselves attracted to the conservatives in particular, sometimes to the libertarians, simply because they see that party as a, well, with the conservatives as a fastest track to political power by some party that 
most represents their viewpoints, at least tells them that they do. And so that way they, f they feel they can defeat their enemy, the evil liberals or whatever it is. Now, like you, Robert, I once counted myself among these people, been there, done that. So I realized I had to create a new political party because if people like me would ever even be able to have a political option at the polls, perhaps even many years or decades away, that's how I thought when, when we started and, and I knew that was the reality of it, um, in light of my long-term objective, you know, reality really did dictate that approach. I, I didn't believe in a quick fix because I knew it wasn't possible. But a lot of good people become totally disillusioned and often even disgusted by what happens to their best of intentions when working within the groups whose philosophical footing is totally crumbling and who cannot stand the test of reality or reason. Worse than, if, if I even dare to say, I told you so, even if I helped them, even if I, you know, because I, I never want to discourage anybody in the politest and indirect way possible. You know, most of their anger gets directed at me. That's the weird thing. It's guys like you who won't work with the others who are the cause of the problem. You know, I get that kind of thing. You're just going off on your own for your own ego. You're splitting the right, you know? Yeah, like me and all the other five of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. It's so preposterous, it just defies all logic and reason. Although I know one person can do a lot of damage to a cause by his opinions. Maybe that's what they're talking about, but you don't have to be a member of anything to do that. But such are the perceptions within the subjective world of politics, and politics is the last in a series of philosophical necessities, which we'll talk about later in the show. But just to confuse you all even more, what we're about to hear in this next clip coming up, Robert, is John Hospers, who I've played here before, the first American presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, who appeared here at UWO in 2000. And here's the funny part. The comments you're going to hear from him now, I agree with totally. Everything that John Hospers is about to say. And he's the libertarian. And he disagrees with libertarianism. He's going to explain that to some degree. And um, everyone else, you know, all the other clips we're going to play today, I don't know that I agree with too much in any of them. And, of course, on the other side of the bumper, we'll be hearing from Prime Minister Stephen Harper, um, who liberals in the media, thanks to the census debate, are accusing of having a libertarian philosophy. Well, tell me you can say that after you hear that clip. Because instead of attacking the anarchism of libertarianism, as John Hospers, the libertarian himself does, Stephen Harper attacks reason and, and, and freedom by paying it lip service, by calling it fundamental and then, you know, contradictory, uh, you know, saying that freedom has to be tempered by family and by faith. It's an epistemological train wreck, which means deadly to freedom. So here are those clips, and we'll be back right after this break. Ayn Rand thought that nations had a limited function to provide armies, police, and courts for the protection of individuals in each nation. Many libertarians, as you know, have said that giving governments this much is already a betrayal of individualism. That since all governments are coercive, and we are committed to minimizing coercion in the world, that's often given as a definition of libertarianism, the only proper procedure is for each individual to provide for his or her own defense. There would be defense agencies, a la David Friedman, which you could join or not as you wish, each competing for the privilege of defending you for pay. Well, volumes could be written and have been written about this. Such agencies, of course, couldn't just be discussion groups. They would have to be armed and ready, else they wouldn't be able to protect you against predatory gangs not just neighborhood gangs, but international predators with new and untried weapons. 
enormous resources would have to be committed to achieve this, and even more because of the freeloaders problem. There would be many groups, of course, who would rather fight than adjudicate. This too would have to be planned for. I confess that I'm afraid at the I could be unconvinced. I'm afraid of competing defense agencies for the same reason that Thomas Hobbes was 350 years ago, the author of Leviathan. He was skeptical about having more than one enforcement agency in a given geographical area. Competition in consumer goods? Yes. Competition in arms? No. More than one enforcement agency in the same region? He called that civil war which he said is not always armed conflict, but neither, he said, is it peace. On the other hand, an older form of liberal, who we now sometimes call libertarian, believe that the solution to all problems lay in less government. Now, individual freedom is something we as conservatives value, but it is not the only thing we value, because our value system, like reality, is a bit deeper than that. I like to summarize my idea of conservatism in three Fs, freedom, family, and faith. Individual freedom, political and economic, is one of our fundamental values. It is absolutely critical, but it must be tempered. Freedom must be tempered by faith, or more broadly, by what faith in all its forms teaches, that there is a right and wrong beyond mere opinion or desire. Most importantly, it teaches us that freedom is not an end in itself, that how freedom is exercised matters as much as freedom itself. Freedom must be used well. To conservatives, it cannot be just about freedom. It must be about policies that help ensure freedom will lead to good choices. God bless your work. God bless Canada. And welcome back to Just Right on CHW 94.9 FM. And we just heard from uh, John Hospers and Stephen Harper with those three Fs. You know what I heard for the first time huh. in that clip? He said that freedom is a fundamental value, not a fundamental principle. Or a fundamental right. Yes. <laughs> and that means values are up at the at the fourth level, not at the fundamental. You know what I'm saying? And even there they've got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> now in the beginning of the beginning of the show you had your disclaimer about your particular affiliations mm -hmm. and why it's difficult for you to talk about this subject and I have my own disclaimer to make. Yeah, you can have a few of our friends mad at us after. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay I think. Um, friends don't stay mad at each other forever. <laughs> I happen to have been the president of the London Fanshawe PC Riding Association. Uh -huh. I ran uh, as the Canadian Alliance candidate in the 2001 federal election. My campaigning office was opened by Preston Manning with whom I Pressed the voting flesh at the Masonville Mall thereafter. I went door to door with Diana Blonzi. And I stood shoulder to shoulder on stage on several occasions with Stockwell Day. That being said, I must now atone for my sins. <laughs> I'm just sitting here shrink shrinking here. <laughs> and admonish conservatives for taking me down the garden path, a path that has led to a loss of freedoms rather than toward freedom. I supported the Conservatives, mainly for a reason that you'll hear later uttered from Anne Coulter, when she said that you have to pick your poison. 
The end result, of course, is that the, Poison's poison. <laughs> the lesser of two evils yeah. is still evil, and that poison is still poison. If given the choice, which I still gratefully have, Bob, I choose life and I choose freedom. The Conservatives seem the more attractive of the two parties, the two main parties at least, because I wanted to desperately to believe the rhetoric surrounding them, not only coming out of their own mouths, but out of the mouths of their opponents in the media. Conservatives are generally thought to have some of the following characteristics. Fiscally prudent, slow to change or accept change, adverse to bureaucratic red tape and restrictions, nationalistic, pro-business. Their opposition and media would sometimes take these traits and extend them to the extreme. Fiscally prudent becomes tight-fisted, greedy capitalists. <laughs> slow to change becomes fossils. Adverse to bureaucracy becomes slash and burn. Nationalistic becomes jingoistic. Pro-business becomes screw the poor. While I disagreed with most of the characteristics of the conservatives, as we generally believe them, to be. I was, I was duped into believing that they supported the one true economic and political system I know to be just, and that is capitalism. Yeah, I was wrong. Free markets all the time. I was very wrong, Bob, in believing that. Ayn Rand once described the agenda of conservatives to be the implementation of freedom by stealth. In this one area, I think Rand was wrong. I have come to realize that conservatives in general have no agenda, and the agenda of those Few conservatives that do have an agenda is socialism, not capitalism. To paraphrase Matthew, you shall know them by their words. Stephen Harper has recently said that he believes in freedom, faith, and family, and that freedom must be tempered by faith. To put it unequivocally, Stephen Harper believes that your personal liberty must be tempered by his own personal sense of morality. The same application of faith to freedom can be seen in Ahmadinejad's Iran or Karzai's Afghanistan. There's no difference. It's a tempering of freedom. Tempering of freedom is called statism. Witness Stockwell Day's recent pledge to put over $9 billion into building new prisons to, as Paul McKeever recently surmised in his blog, to house the countless cannabis users in this country, the so-called unreported criminals. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Just stunning. Our sons and daughters will be subject to a minimum jail term of six months for smoking pot. Stephen Harper's faith will destroy your family and your freedom. And this on, on the same day that the majority of the public says they would like to see pot decriminalized. The majority of, yeah. of everybody out there, yeah. all over the regions, yeah. say that pot should be totally decriminalized. Yeah, fewer than 20% agree with Stephen Harper, and we're going to get Stephen Harper's formula. Way to go. Yeah. As far back as the beginning of this nation, Bob, the conservative socialist streak has been written large in the name of their party. Did you know Sir John A. MacDonald led the Liberal Conservative Party? a name that survived with little change until 1942 when it became the Progressive Conservative Party, which again became the Conservative Party to finally hide the liberal leanings of the Conservatives. Recently, John Turner wrote that uh, we should erect a statue to Conservative Prime Minister R.B. Bennett. Why? Not just because Bennett promoted his mother, that is John Turner's mother, in the government bureaucracy, not, but because Bennett, a conservative, was our version of America's FDR. In 1935, Bennett introduced a Canadian version of the New Deal. Remember, this is a conservative mm -hmm. prime minister. 
It involved unprecedented public spending and federal intervention in the economy, progressive income taxation, a minimum wage, a maximum number of working hours per week, unemployment insurance, health insurance, an expanded pension program, and grants to farmers were all included in Bennett's New Deal plan. He also pr proposed the formation of the CBC, and he nationalized the Bank of Canada. What a conservative. That's, Karl that Marx is, move over. I that tell is ya. a true progressive conservative, yeah. otherwise read as liberal. Right. All redder. The, liberal, <laughs> the liberals didn't do any of that. That's the funny part. Yeah, that is the funny part. In one of his addresses to the nation, Bennett said, now get this, Bob, this is a conservative. I am for reform, he said, and in my mind, reform means government intervention. It means <laughs> government control and regulation. It means the end to laissez-faire. That Explicit. is Canadian conservatism. Yeah. That is the Explicitly opposed to freedom. Yeah. Explicitly opposed to it. This kind of liberal conservative has not changed, even under the Harper conservatives. You should not only know them by their deeds, you shall know them by their words. But this is most important. You shall know a conservative not only by his words and actions, but by his inactions. With every liberal government comes a new socialist program be it official bilingualism, official multiculturalism, a new welfare program, free education for four-year-olds, then three-year-olds, free daycare, human rights commissions, the list goes on. What is conspicuous is that when the conservatives finally get in, do they repeal these socialist pipe dreams? No. They fall all over themselves, fighting to show that they can manage these programs more effectively than the liberals. They support the programs and reveal, and revel rather, in putting more money into them. Now we're going to break for a couple of clips. One of them is um, from Michael Corrin, and, and you'll hear it. And, and, um, oh, that's, that's later on. Right now we're going to be doing um, right. the, federal, the federal leaders. We're going to hear from Martin and Harper back in 2006. What would otherwise be a totally boring thing to oh, listen to, well, but I want people to listen to this and just to listen truly, to these people. Truly, folks, we hate to impose torture on our listeners, <laughs> but sometimes we want you to feel our pain, okay? Yeah. Here are two examples, basically, of utterly non-essential contradictory, confusing, misled debates, which aren't even debates at all. Everybody's agreed on the goal. And the fundamental function of government, the redistribution of wealth, they even say so explicitly, for the purpose of egalitarianism, not even to help the poor. This is the conservatives trying all to out-liberal the liberals. Conservatives offer no resistance, only assistance in achieving socialism in a conservative way, which explains why freedom and capitalism cannot possibly be any kind of principle for them. So on this side of the break, we're going to be hearing federal liberal Paul Martin versus conservative Stephen Harper. On the other side of the break, we're going to hear provincial liberal Dalton McGinty versus that wonderful, everyone says he's such a great conservative, John Tory. <laughs> and they think he lost a debate over faith funding. Give me a break. I, I would never have voted for the guy. I cannot understand why anybody looks at him as a hopeful for anything, to be honest with you. But uh, I think both debates were hosted by TVO's Steve Pakin. But here they are. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back after this. Okay, fourth and final question in the area of social policy, and we want to talk. Mr. Martin, this one goes to you. It's on social justice. The new year began with the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, reaching a record high. We know there is a lot of wealth in this country. We've got a half a million millionaires in this country. But at the same time, we have almost five million people living with less than adequate incomes, and included in that group are a million children. What do you think can be done about that gap where the rich seem to be getting richer and the less rich can't seem to get out of the hole? 
Well, fundamentally, what we our tax system and its redistributive tax system has got to make sure that, in fact, we take the money from the well-off and that we redistribute it uh, to those who, who do it, but we redistribute it in terms of services. That's why I don't agree when Mr. Harper uh, said that he would cancel our tax cut, uh, that put more money in the, in the, in the pockets of working-class working Canadians to, in order for him to benefit the richer Canadians, because we want that money. Now, what are the kinds of things we want to do? Child care, early learning is an essential part of, of dealing with child poverty, because what you're doing is you're taking children from whatever income stream at all, and you're giving them the chance at a very, very young age to be able to go to school, to learn uh, uh, earlier, and then when they leave school, be able to succeed. The child benefit, which we introduced, close to $10 billion, is going to deal with poor children. The fact is that there is a fundamental value shift here in the country that we have got to deal with the causes of poverty. Aboriginals, that's the reason that we had our major, uh, our major conference. There are so many areas where Thanks, we could, Mr. Martin, should be dealing your with time, I'm afraid. Mr. Harper on this? I've said repeatedly that there's far too many people not getting the benefit of our wealthy economy. We have these huge surpluses. People ask me, where's our surplus been? That's why we proposed a series of tax cuts, uh, one of the centerpieces of which is a cut to the GST. The only tax cut that every single Canadian pays, including every single poor per person. Under the, Mr. Martin's plan, the 30% of lowest income Canadians get absolutely zero tax break whatsoever. We're going to pay a child care allowance to families with children under six. Every family, regardless of income, will get $100 a month, $1,200 a year. And that's in addition to the national child benefits and other programs that go specifically to lower income people. We're going to give trade, make sure people have trades education. We're going to make sure that people who don't necessarily have the opportunity to go to university, can also get some training for their kinds of, get some uh, funding for their kinds of education and job opportunity. Uh, we've agreed to with the other parties. I've said to the Bloc and NDP repeatedly, we want to see independent tripartite management of employment insurance so the fund is never rated again. Thanks, Mr. Harper. Mr. Martin, you're entitled to a 30-second rebuttal on this? Well, first of all, of course, the GST benefits the wealthiest before it benefits the poorest. But let me just say, 90%, Mr. Layton, of our tax cuts went uh, to middle-income and low-income Canadians. We gave $5 billion uh, to Aboriginals because that's one of the root causes of poverty in our country. We, we increased the guaranteed income supplement because we recognize the poverty among senior citizens in this country. We've created we're creating a new caregiver leave. But who, who is really poor but the, per, the people who can't afford to take care of themselves? People with disabilities, and we Thanks, Mr. Martin. a major effort. In There's lots area. more to say on this, so let's do another go-round on this, starting with Mr. Harper. It has emerged in the last few days that you would cancel the Liberal Tax Cut Program, which means the lowest income earners would see their tax rate go from 15 up to 16%. How come you're doing that? Well, first of all, that's not correct. What we've said is that we're going to bring in, I said this from the beginning, our tax package, not the Liberals' tax package. It includes a GST tax cut. It includes some selective income tax measures for, for students, for families, for seniors, for tradespeople, uh, for, uh, for all kinds of people. Uh, the fact of the matter is the Liberal tax cut is exclusively designed for people in the top two-thirds of income brackets. We will cut taxes for those people, but our plan is more generous. It cut taxes for everyone. Mr. Martin, is that your understanding well, of that's it? That's just absolutely nonsense. The fact is that our tax cut is directed towards middle-class Canadians and low-income Canadians, and they are the ones who need it the most.
are poor. So we've made some progress. We'll continue to raise it to $10.25 Mr. Torres, I'd love to actually have a word about Ontario's role in Canada. We, we are playing a diminished role today. And I think it is because you have allowed on your watch for us to slip down the list and to become last in so many areas. Why are we last in electronic health records? Way behind, PEI is way ahead of us. Why are we ninth out of 10 in advanced cancer drugs for people who need that help? Why are we last in spending on post-secondary education? Why are we last in economic growth and job creation? And I think, frankly, when you go to the meetings and be there with the others you talk about this, we're just not taking the role anymore of being the leaders in Canada. To be the leaders in Canada means we have to have leadership at those tables. And I think you've let us down. I think you've let us slip down the list. You haven't decided you're going to just darn well grab us, you know, by the bootstraps and say we're going to pull ourselves up and be leaders again in everything, in all of these areas. One of the most this important is just ways, what you've done. One of the most important ways that we can in our leading is with a continuing commitment through our government to strong public services. And I'd ask voters to keep something in mind. Mr. Tory wants to take Mr. Tory Mr. Tory wants to take let him finish please here we go Mr. Tory wants to take here we go here we go it's a half a billion dollars out of public schools to convert that to private religious schools he wants to take 3 billion dollars out of healthcare he wants to open up private clinics he wants to open up private clinics and when we stood up for the green belt when we stood up for clean water legislation and endangered species legislation and you spill you pay legislation you opposed all of that and stood up for the private sector let's get not diverted from healthcare i met a woman the other day i met woman the other day and she said she is pulling she, she she had two canes she's waiting a year to see a specialist on your watch to have her knee fixed she had two canes she's walking down the street the press were all with me when i met her and this is the legacy of what you haven't done you you have left these people suffering in waiting lists and in lineups and with application forms for doctors and yet you're spending billions more and not producing results i gotta give and mr hampton a chance and welcome back to Just Right on CHW 94.9 FM, where you can join in on the conversation at 519-661-3600. don't know if anybody can join in on that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> what a train wreck. You need a moderator for that. Wasn't no that wonder amazing? people don't understand politics. Uh, actually, that's good entertainment, what? I think, for people like us. Well, for us, but, you know, other people who almost take that stuff seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, what are, what are they thinking? Well, I don't gee, know. now which one should I vote for, Tweedledum or Tweedledee? Uh, you know, here's Harper saying, we're going to cut taxes for everybody, and we're going to spend for everybody at the same time, regardless of income. Not uh -huh. even if you're poor. You're going to get a benefit from us, darn it, whether you want it or not. So cut taxes, increase spending. He must have a money tree. Yeah, it must something. be something like that. <laughs> Anyway, just to get back to the history of Stephen Harper and the Conservatives and how liberal they are, I found an article in the Maclean's magazine, I think it was September 2009, um, and what I'm going to say next is more or less a paraphrase from that article. So, in a 1999 interview with Terry O'Neill of BC Report News magazine, Harper said, and I quote, Human rights commissions, as they are evolving, are an attack on our fundamental freedoms and the basic existence of a democratic society, he said. It is, in fact, totalitarianism. I find this very scary stuff, unquote. He went on to complain about the, quote, bastardization of the entire concept of rights in our mon modern society. Of course, that was back when Harper was president of the National Citizens Coalition. Today, he's Canada's 22nd Prime Minister, and he appears to have lost his fear for totalitarianism. So we asked, that the we being Maclean's magazine, we asked Harper if he intended to correct this threat to the basic existence of a democratic society. His reply, quote, The government has no plans to do so. 
That was his casual reply. It is a very tricky issue of public policy, you see. It's probably the, <laughs> the case that we haven't got the balance right, but I'm not sure the government today has any answer on what an appropriate balance would be, unquote. So that's out of McLean's article about Stephen Harper and who, on the one hand, before he gets into power, finds the Human Rights Commission to be a fundamental threat to our democracy, uh, an example of totalitarianism. But when he becomes prime minister, oh, well, we need the right balance before we're able to do anything. We need, we have no plan to do anything now. He has all the power in the world to get rid of the Human Rights Commission with a stroke of a pen, and he does nothing. A few other points against the Conservatives. Consider this, after four years, we still have the long gun registry. Also, after 500 years of voting in Canada... it's a minority Canada, government, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what I've heard before. It's a minority yeah. government. But you know something? If they actually went um, and, and tried to get rid of the long gun registry and the Liberals and their stupidity would take them to task on it, Harper would still get back in. This, the polls show that they would still get back in with, with a minority government or perhaps even a majority. They could get rid of that long gun registry if they wanted to, but they just don't. Yep. So, after 500 years... Of boating in Canada, the Conservatives say we now have to get a government-issued certificate to operate a boat. What would the voyageurs have said to such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> There's your government conservative regulations right there. In the 1984 election, the Progressive Conservative Party of Brian Mulroney was elected to a majority in the House of Commons with the support of Western Canada after campaigning against the National Energy Program, the NEP. However... Mulroney did not eliminate the last vestiges of the program until two and a half years later, at which time world oil prices had dropped below pre-1980s levels. The Conservative government's delay was a contributing factor to the creation of Western Canada's Reform Party of Canada. So there yeah. you go. On the one hand, they get in saying, oh, we get rid of the NEP. And then when they, when they do it, they only did it because it was no longer necessary because oil dropped anyway. <laughs> but the anger that they instilled in the West created the Reform Party, which became the Canadian Lions Party, which became so-called today's Conservative Party. What goes around went around. Yeah, yeah. But this, now get this, Bob, and probably one of the worst instances of a conservative socialism, the first incarnation of OHIP, the biggest drain on Ontario's budget, was passed under the successive Conservative governments of John Robarts and Bill Davis. So, everybody Bill, out there... Bill Davis was the ultimate socialist. Red Tory, they called him. Yeah, Red Tory. Tory could not... If Tory means anything, <laughs> how they put that word on him, even as a, as a afterthought, is beyond my understanding. I never saw anything even remotely Tory-ish, let alone freedom-oriented, yeah. from Bill Davis. Ever. Thought, he was in power when we started Freedom Party, by the way. Yes, yes, I recall. Uh, but if anybody out there really thinks that, okay, look, we, what defines Canada? Oh, it's our... It's our health, universal health care. Remember, that was brought in by a conservative government, in Ontario at least. Now, both parties, liberal or conservative, regardless of conservative rhetoric, believe... By the way, they also brought in the income tax. You're going to mention that too? Um, the income tax? In Ontario. Oh, in Ontario. Yeah. They're really now. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> After all I just said, I'm not surprised. To pay, to pay for, to pay for the, uh, the health care system. Is that right? And they said this will replace your, um, your health care premium. Did it? 
No. <laughs> yeah, it did. You're not allowed to pay the premium anymore because they passed a law against that. Actually, too. no. And what do they have back? Do you have the employee health tax now? Well, that's a premium. Oh yeah, not your. Yeah, <laughs> I pay it every bloody year when I do my taxes. Jeez. Um. So both parties believe and support our massive welfare state. Both parties support bureaucracy and red tape. Consider Harper's call for a massive increase in the distribu in the distribution of the long form census albeit with the threat of jail removed. For this, he gets labeled a libertarian. Instead of going to 20% of the population, it now goes to 35%. Thank you, Mr. Harper. Yep. In <laughs> increase the size of government to... Uh, How many more to bureaucrats do they need to, to do that? Oh, my God. The conservatives, when they are in government, prop up, support, and extend the very legislation they opposed in opposition. Rarely is it ever heard of that the conservatives have repealed any legislation that a preceding liberal government has imposed. Today, they can't even repeal the long-form census. They increase it. They have to send it out to even more millions of Canadians asking the same invasive racist questions that were in the yeah, old... Yeah, the questions are all the same. Census. They're still going to spend money the same. They're still yeah. going to ask you about your race. So They're they... still going to spend on that basis. Yeah. They just hmm. removed the fact that, oh, you're, you're going to get slapped on the wrist if you don't, uh, yeah. if you don't do it. It's, it's, well, out, it's outrageous. So what? What a non-debate. <laughs> of the two parties, it's my belief, Bob, that it's the Conservatives which has the most detrimental effect on freedom in Canada. They do not attempt to roll back socialism and bureaucracy. They seek only to make them more efficient. They may say they oppose the statism of the Liberals while they are in opposition, but when they gain power, they maintain the very socialist endeavors of their left-wing predecessors. It is this inaction, this failure to rescind the ever-encroaching power of the state into our daily personal and economic lives, which makes the Conservatives worse than the Liberals. It is this inaction that gives tacit post-approval of every left-wing action of the Liberals. But ultimately, ultimately, it is the hope we sometimes get when they talk about repealing, for example, gun laws, lowering spending, cutting red tape, that has the worst effect on people who love freedom. They continue to support the Conservatives, even when their hopes are always dashed, I've when their party gets into power. If these people took the energy they spent getting the Conservatives elected and channeled it into real action to promote freedom in this country, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. I agree, Robert, and I know that you and I and others in our tight little group have done more for freedom in this country than any political party can claim to have done. I'd have to agree you know, with Mark you, Mark Emery and I and a handful of we brought Sunday shopping to Ontario, which, who, who does that make most angry? Conservatives. <laughs> <laughs> right? But why would you put a person in jail for opening his store up on Sunday? It just doesn't make any sense. There's countless uh, efforts that you, Mark, um, uh, Paul McKeever, myself, and oh, all the, uh, all the had other people in the Freedom Party have had concrete instances of overturning legislation, um, reducing people's taxation, for example, in BIAs yep. across the province. And if people who are supporting the Conservatives took that energy and, like us, went out there and did positive things for freedom, this world would be a better place. Except they don't know what freedom looks like. That's the problem, you know? And it's our job and, to let them and, know. And, and it seems funny for us to say, well, the Conservatives are worse than the Liberals, since the Liberals are the thing we're all fighting, right? And so how, how can we say that, since, you know, you're calling, you know, the sinner worse than the devil? <laughs> and in fact, that's not the point. The point is, what makes that sinner worse is that he says he can beat the devil, and people think that it's true, and then the devil wins, so to speak. 
depending on where you sit on the spectrum. Now, what we're about to hear in this next clip, Robert, are the voices of a conservative and of a libertarian, both having been guests on this show, namely U.S. conservative and political lightning rod Ann Coulter and libertarian activist Prince of Pot Mark Emery. But these audio excerpts are not from our show. If you want to hear our show um, talking to these two people, you can, of course, check it out at justrightmedia.org. It's right on the first page there. But these clips are from the first being from Michael Corrin Live on March 23rd of this year with Ann Coulter, while the second excerpt on the other side of the bumper was taped here at the University of Western Ontario again back in 2000 at the same Libertarian Conference. Remember Mark's talking to libertarians there, uh, where we just heard John Hosper speak earlier in the show. Now, just so you know in advance, I disagree with about 70 to 90 percent of what you're about to hear from both Coulter and Emery, though each makes some very fascinating observations, I thought. But uh, my own knowledge and experience do not cause me to arrive at either of the conclusions about politics that each speaker arrives at. Hopefully I can explain why on the other side of this. Were you always a conservative? Um, yes, although like many young people, um, I was a little bit more of a libertarian in, you know, a strutting, arrogant libertarian yeah. <laughs> in, uh, I guess, high school, probably up to the beginning of college. I j incidentally, I just got um, an email right after the health care vote last night from one of my very big libertarian friends. One of the big libertarian talking points is, oh, the Republican and the Democratic Party, they're the same, they're both no good. And he emailed me and said, after last night's vote, ich bin ein Republican. <laughs> <laughs> so libertarian, and for those uh, who, who uh, aren't informed, I suppose, the idea that less government, the better we are, the ideas of people like Hayek and Road to Freedom and so on, and, and government is our enemy. Well, I agree with all of that. The, the main distinguishing feature that I keep making this point to libertarians in America now is you've got to pick a team. There's not going to be a libertarian president of the United States. We are not going to wake up the day after the election on November and find out that a majority of the members of Congress are of the libertarian party. There are two major parties in America. I didn't make it that way. I'm describing the facts. All these people act like I'm the one who's responsible for a two-party system. We have a two-party system. You've got to pick your, pick your poison here. And we had a vote last night that will socialize health care. And I'm sorry, Canada, but you have no place to escape to now. Um, and not one Republican voted for it. Do not tell me there is not a difference between the parties. And the funny thing is, it's very Tom Sawyer-like, because even though the executive of, of the party is all libertarians, most of the candidates are socialists. You see, so, because the thing is, I've always learned that if you want someone who is going to be active, get a socialist and tell him he's wrong, convert him, they're easy to convert because they're looking for a better way. They're looking for a better way, but they're just doing it the wrong way, but they want to improve the world. Whereas a social conservative, first of all, really, in my opinion, a social conservative is hard to convert to libertarianism because all they want is a society that reflects their fear-based bias. In other words, I'm frightened of the rest of the world out there, and I want to keep them well away from me, right? And so... Social conservatives tend to fear society, whereas socialists want to embrace it, but they're just, they're using the wrong ideas for what I believe is a noble goal. They want to make the world a better place, and I'm going to help you do that, but you're going to have to change the way you're doing it. And so, oddly enough, most of our candidates are socialists, but we've totally trained them not to bring up any socialist ideas. Our point is that 
The marijuana party is to legalize marijuana and end all criminality to its use. And then our second platform point is proportional representation, which will help you. That's part two, you see. After we make marijuana legally, I pave your way in. And by the way, I hope nobody takes that as a real slight against working for the Libertarian Party. The Libertarians haven't actually run any candidates in BC since I've been there. And the one thing I know from organizing Libertarian candidates from previous elections is they hate to run in elections. Libertarians hate politics. This is a, unfortunately a contradiction that is not helpful. Whereas most of the people running for the marijuana party are all people who've been convicted of growing pot. So they want revenge. So they're happy. They want to run. I want to meet those guys who put me away. Right? And libertarians should think like that too. I want to kick your ass. I want to get up there and kick your ass because you've been hassling me all my life. But libertarians are just terrible to get to run. I, I, I can be a campaign manager for many libertarian candidates and many libertarian campaigns, and I'm telling you, they come up with more objections to why they should run than the people come up with objections to libertarian policy when you're on the election campaign trail. You know, the, the hardest part about any ele libertarian election campaign is just convincing them to run. Please, please run. I mean, whereas with the marijuana party, we had no trouble at all getting candidates, and not only that, from all different parties. In fact, the fellow running in Victoria for our federal candidacy got 10,000 votes for the NDP in the last election, and like a lot of people are jumping ship, they're leaving the NDP. We also have an NDP caucus employee in Victoria who's actually our campaign manager for the, that area in the federal election. And, uh, you know, so these people are abandoning their party because it's, NDP's a sleazy, cheesily run thing that has bad ideas. Well. So the thing is, there's going to be a lot of floating socialists out there looking for a home, and I'm determined to provide one for them. Well, I wonder if they're going to join them in that jail cell down in south of the border. <laughs> uh, maybe that was an unkind comment, but, you know, here he's talking about the sleazy NDP, and yet who was he rubbing shoulders with? Jack Layton and, yep. and the whole deal. And there, there you see libertarianism swinging back to socialism, which it never was apart from, by the way. And Ann Coulter talking about, uh, you know, why she goes conservative instead of what she says she agrees with, libertarianism. In other words, she's being unprincipled to herself. And she says that not one Republican voted for the socialized medicine, which is just crap. They didn't vote for that measure because they didn't spend enough. That's why. <laughs> Did they do it out of principle? No. Look at what they want. Look at, look at the discussions on this. You don't scratch my back, I won't scratch yours. Oh, no, we're not going to give you that until you give us that, until both sides get everything they want. You know what I mean? That's what it's about. It's a power struggle over money, your money, you know, the taxpayers' money. Not only that, when the, uh, legis when the Republicans get back in, do you think they'll repeal it? Not for a second. The only thing that will make them ever go in the, quote, right direction is when things are so bad so, so bad because of what they did before that they actually make a move, like how Windsor finally privatized a lot of their services when the city was going bankrupt. It's not until then. You know, a lot of us maybe personally do that. The government shouldn't be run that way. So what can we say? You know, the whole idea of freedom, I really have to say, is something truly new and to most people in, in society remains largely unknown. It's nobody's fault, really. And this, this is the part that's hard to get to. A lot of good people involved here. Freedom has yet to be discovered and understood in an objective way by the vast majority of mankind. And yes, it's true, throughout history there have been great philosophers, great statesmen, but there's never been a great political party or movement moving in a consistent right direction towards freedom, not just away from one form of oppression in hopes of a lesser. Freedom is an entirely new idea to mankind in general, and it's taken me personally the better part of two decades to confirm that what we've been doing, Robert, uh, we're kind of pioneers in a field that's never been done before, anywhere, at any time in history. This is not 
I'm, I'm not trying to brag here. You know, some, some people might think I'm being boastful or maybe irrelevant, but I see it as a tragedy. No wonder we're losing our freedoms. Because most freedom advocates are not really advocating a move towards freedom, and I picked the two people we're just heard from there, but away from some sort of oppression, injustice, or tyranny. And this may or may not be a step in the right direction. It might even be a just cause, but it's not freedom, and it offers no guarantee of such. And that's the issue, you know, the other, the other parties that we, that we call on the right, which basically, basically other than Freedom Party would be the Libertarians and the, and the Conservatives. But like Liberals and New Democrats, Progressive Conservatives see government as a service industry and a grand insurance company that will somehow protect us from all the inevitabilities of life. Could we have heard that better demonstrated than what we just heard from all of them, mm-hmm. all our leaders, so, so to speak? Libertarians think we should have competing governments so that we can pick and choose between these competitive services. That was a point that John Hospers was speaking against as a libertarian. Or they believe no government at all, thus depriving society of its only instrument of enforcing objective laws. So basically, each group says they can advance the benefits and everything of capitalism and freedom without, even using the words, but without capitalism and freedom. That's how they're going to do it. And that's why I used to say with friends like that, capitalism needs an enema, I tell (laughs) you. It's got enough enemies. But the interesting thing is... Uh, in terms of objectively defined individual freedom, I'll bet you most people don't even realize there is such a thing. But it's been my long-term and consistent observation that conservatives are against it. Libertarians don't really care one way or the other. It's startling how many people still believe either of these groups can ever advance freedom, but it just is not so. You can't reform them. You can't talk to them. I'm sorry I've learned from consistent, bitter experience. Been there, done that, big mistake, lesson learned, never again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, three times, four times, every time. Well, shame on me. I mean, how how many times do I have to be hit in the head before I learn? But we forget, don't we? And here's the lesson learned, Reader's Digest version. Five simple steps. One, freedom is a necessary condition of civilization and can only arise when based on the four philosophical pillars of reality, reason, self, and consent, with consent being the operative principle in politics, and none can exist without the others. Number two, a civilized society on principle, by necessity, and by definition, is one in which the initiation of physical force is prohibited under proper objective laws to enforce that prohibition by a government using force. So goodbye, libertarians. You know, can't use force. Give me a break. They, they don't even they talk initiation of force all the time, and they don't make any distinctions after that. And then, of course, um, you know, three, in, in a free society, individual rights always trump interests. And number four, in a free society, capitalism, which is the separation of the state and economics, is the operative economic system. And fifth and last, in a free society, government is a referee enforcing justice, not a player in the game of its own making, enforcing injustice. Now, if you stop and think, is what I've just described in any way the kind of society we hear being advocated by anybody? Never mind just conservatives or libertarians, but anybody, and certainly not them. Once in a while, yeah, they all say freedom of choice, free trade, you can't force people to do stuff when they go about doing it without even thinking twice. And that's the the issue. You know, the proper and effective political implementation of freedom, I think, requires a complete installation package, and that means a whole new party. And um, I think Ayn Rand was wrong when she said it was too early for freedom and capitalist advocates to become political. But she was right in concluding it was far too early for them to get elected. That's a different thing. 
it's never too early to get organized because politics fills into a vacuum. And the reason we've always go towards more government in the last is because the vacuum is filled by another more government party. And there just have never been true less government parties out there. And I don't mean less government in the quantitative sense. So basically, that's the situation we're in. You know, there's no official opposition to the unparalleled growth of statism and higher taxes anywhere in this province or country. So basically, that's the situation we're in. And I don't know, what, what do you got to say, Robert? Well, one I, final I, comment, Bob, yeah. it would be that it seems that the conservative government, whenever they are trying to garner votes or start to lose some of their base support, they would throw you a bone. This is the census, I think, in this That's particular case. That's one of them. They're throwing you a bone, and you're going to forget everything yeah. else that they did, which was wrong. Says, oh, well, they're trying to get rid of the long-form yeah. census. Great, they got my support. Yeah, they give you the bone you're while they get again. the meal. That's right. You know, conservatives think that you can change uh, the morality, you know, philosophy backwards. You know, they think that you can change the morality, epistemology, and even metaphysics of people through politics, which is entirely reverses the process. You know, space-time is completely reversed that way. You can't pass a law to make people moral, wise, or even real. It's just ridiculous. Anyways, Robert, I think that's about it for us today. And always remember, the reason that conservative color is blue is because when it comes to freedom, you can always say, they blew it. <laughs> I wonder oh, if there's Bob. a few people seeing red out there right now. <laughs> Anyways, we've got to go, and we'll see you next week, and we hope you'll join us again when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and think right. See you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Well, I don't want to depress you, Minister, oh. but there is just this lead story oh, in the yes. Times. It is worse. Hacker recruits 400 new civil servants in, quote, economy drive. 400 more civil servants. Administer, you asked for them. You demanded a complete study, a survey, facts and figures. These measures cannot be taken with non-people. If you create more jobs, more people have to be employed to do them. It's common sense. And, Minister, if you persist with the bureaucratic watchdog office, there'll be at least 400 new jobs there as well. What are we going to do? Well, Minister, if we were to end the economy drive and close the bureaucratic watchdog office, oh. we could issue an immediate press announcement that you'd axed 800 jobs. Now, if you'd care to glance at this draft proposal. But nobody's doing those jobs. Nobody's been recruited yet. An even greater economy. We've saved 800 redundancy payments as well. <laughs> That's phony. It's cheating. It's dishonest. It's just... Cheating with figures, pulling the wool over people's eyes. A government press release, in fact.